letters twenty one through twenty four of the power of sympathy or the triumph of nature founded in truth by william hill brown this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. letter twenty one harriet to myra rhode island we arrived here in safety but our journey is not without incident an incident which exhibits a melancholy picture of the wickedness and depravity of the human heart when we came to the house of mrs martin who i suppose you know is cousin to mrs francis we were not a little astonished at the evident traces of distress in her countenance all her actions were accompanied with an air of solemnity and her former gaiety of heart was exchanged for sad serious thoughtfulness she however put on a face of vivacity upon our being introduced but her cheerfulness was foreign to the feelings of her heart mr martin was equally agitated he endeavoured to dispossess himself of an uncommon weight of remorse but in vain all his dissimulation could not conceal his emotion nor his art abate the continual upbraidings of conscious guilt mrs francis was anxious to inquire the cause of this extraordinary change but wisely forbore adding to the distress of her friend by desiring her to explain it in a manner too precipitate she was in a short time made acquainted with the particulars of the story which is not more melancholy than uncommon some time after the marriage of martin the beautiful ophelia sister to mrs martin returned from a european visit to her friends in rhode island upon her arrival she received a polite offer from her brother-in-law of an elegant apartment in his house in town which was cheerfully accepted fatal exception he had conceived a passion for ophelia and was plotting to gratify it by a series of the most artful attentions suggested by a diabolical appetite he insinuated himself into her affection he prevailed upon the heart of the unsuspicious ophelia and triumphed over her innocence and virtue this incestuous connection has secretly subsisted until the present time it was interrupted by a symptom which rendered it necessary for ophelia to retire into the country where she was delivered of a child had once the son and nephew of martin this event was a severe mortification to the proud spirit of shepherd the father of ophelia his resentment to his daughter was implacable and his revenge of the injury from martin not to be satiated the blaze of family dispute raged with unquenchable fury and poor ophelia received other punishment from the hand of a vindictive father than base recrimination the affection of martin now became changed to the vilest hatred thus doomed to suffer the blackest ingratitude from her seducer on the one hand and to experience the severity of paternal vengeance on the other and before her the gloomy prospect of a blasted reputation what must be the situation of the hapless ophelia hope the last resort of the wretched was forever shut out 
there was no one whom she durst implore by the tender name of father and he who had seduced her from her duty and her virtue was the first to brand her with the disgraceful epithets of undutiful and unchaste perhaps it was only at this time that she became fully sensible of her danger the flattery and dissimulation of martin might have banished the idea of detection and glossed over that of criminality but now she awoke from her dream of insensibility she was like one who had been deluded by an ignis fatus to the brink of a precipice and there abandoned to his reflection to contemplate the horrors of the sea beneath him into which he was about to plunge whether from the promises of martin or the flattery of her own fancy is unknown but it is said she expected to become his wife and made use of many expedients to obtain a divorcement of martin from her sister but this is the breath of rumour allowing it to be truth it appears to be the last attempt of despair for such unnatural exertions with the compunction attending them represent a gloomy picture of the struggle between sisterly affection and declining honour they however proved inavailable and her efforts to that end may with propriety be deemed a wretched subterfuge in the meanwhile the rage of shepherd was augmenting time instead of allaying kindled the flame of revenge in the breast of the old man a sense of the wounded honour of his family became every day more exquisite he resolved to call a meeting of the parties in which the whole mystery should be developed that ophelia should confront her seducer and a thorough inquiry and explication be brought about ophelia exercised all her powers to prevent it she entreated her father to consent to her desire but her tears and entreaties were vain to this earnest desire of his daughter shepherd opposed the honour of his family she replied that a procedure would publish its disgrace and be subversive of his intention that she hoped to live retired from the world and it was in his power to accept her happy repentance in extenuating she wished not to vindicate her errors but declared herself to be penetrated with a melancholy sense of her misconduct and hoped her penitence might expiate her guilt she now beheld the sin in the most glaring colours the dangers to which she had been exposed and acknowledged the effects of her temerity had impressed her mind with sincere contrition all persons continued she are not blessed with the like happiness of resisting temptation she entreated her father therefore to believe her misfortunes proceeded from credulity and not from an abandoned principle that they arose more from situation than a depraved heart in asking to be restored to the favour and protection of a parent she protested she was not influenced by any other motive than a wish to demonstrate the sincerity of her repentance and to establish the peace and harmony of the family ophelia now became melancholy and her intentions visibly bent on the manner of her death as the time drew nigh her sensibility became more and more exquisite what was before distress 
she now averred to be horror. Her conduct bordered on insanity. The day was appointed to bring to a settlement this unhappy business. The time of hearing arrived. The parties met. The presence of Ophelia was necessary. She was missing. The unfortunate Ophelia died by her own hand. Mrs. Shepherd entered the apartment of her daughter and beheld her pale and trembling. She saw the vial and the cup with the remains of the poison. She embraced her lost. My Ophelia, my daughter, return, return to life. At this crisis entered the father. He was mute. He beheld his daughter struggling with the pangs of dissolution. He was dumb with grief and astonishment. The dying Ophelia was conscious of the distress of her parents and of her own situation. She clasped her mother's hand and, raising her eye to heaven, was only heard to articulate, Let my crime be forgotten with my name, O oh, fatal, fatal poison! Adieu, my dear Myra, this unhappy affair has worked me into a fit of melancholy. I can write no more. I will give you a few particulars in my next. It is impossible to behold the effect of this horrid catastrophe and not be impressed with feelings of sympathetic sorrow. Letter 22, Harriet to Myra, Rhode Island How frail is the heart! How dim is human foresight! We behold the gilded bait of temptation, and know not until taught by experience that the admission of one error is but the introduction of calamity. One mistake imperceptibly leads to another, but the consequences of the whole bursting suddenly on the devoted head of an unfortunate wanderer becomes intolerable. How acute must be that torture which seeks an asylum in suicide! O oh, seduction! How many and how miserable are the victims of thy unrelenting vengeance! Some crimes, indeed, cease to afflict when they cease to exist, but seduction opens the door to a dismal train of innumerable miseries. You can better imagine the situation of the friends of the unfortunate Ophelia than I can describe it. The writings she left were expressive of contrition for her past transaction and an awful sense of the deed she was about to execute. Her miserable life was insupportable. There was no ablation but in death. She welcomed death, therefore, as the pleasing harbinger of relief to the unfortunate. She remembered her once-loved seducer with pity, and bequeathed him her forgiveness. To say she felt no agitation was not just, but that she experienced a calmness unknown to a criminal was certain. She hoped the rashness of her conduct would not be construed to her disadvantage, for she died in charity with the world. She felt like a poor wanderer about to return to a tender parent, and flattered herself with the hopes of a welcome, though unbidden, return. She owned the way was dark and intricate, but lamented she had no friend to enlighten her understanding or unravel the mysteries of futurity. She knew there was a God who will reward and punish, 
She acknowledged she had offended him and confessed her repentance. She expatiated on the miserable life she had suffered. Not that she feared detection, that was impossible, but that she had been doing an injury to a sister who was all kindness to her. She prayed her sister's forgiveness, even as she herself forgave her seducer, and that her crime might not be called ingratitude, because she was always sensible of her obligation to that sister. She requested her parents to pardon her, and acknowledged she felt the pangs of a bleeding heart at the shock which must be given to the most feeling of mothers. She entreated her sisters to think of her with pity, and died with assurance that her friends would so far revere her memory as to take up one thing or another and say this belonged to poor Ophelia. Oh, my friend, what scenes of anguish are here unfolded to the survivors! The unhappy shepherd charged Martin with the seduction and murder of his daughter. What the termination of this most horrible affair will be is not easy to foresee. Adieu. Letter 23. Harriet to Myra, Rhode Island. Whatever may be the other causes, if there were any besides her seduction, which drove the unhappy Ophelia temerariously to her existence, it certainly becomes us, my dear friend, to attend to them, and to draw such morals and lessons of instruction from each side of the question as will be a mirror by which we may regulate our conduct and amend our lives. A prudent pilot will shun these rocks upon which others have been dashed to pieces, and take example from the conduct of others less fortunate than himself. It is the duty of the moralist, then, to deduce his observations from preceding facts in such a manner as may directly improve the mind and promote the economy of human life. This may be an apology for sending you the arguments of Martin in answer to Shepherd, who, in his rage and grief, had called him the murderer of his child. He reminded Shepherd of his obstinacy in persisting in an explanatory meeting and refusing to grant Ophelia's request in suffering the affair to subside. "'Your proud spirit,' said he, "'would not hearken to the gentle remonstrances of your daughter,' Your heart was closed to every conciliatory proposition. Though she expressed a propensity to fly from the eye of the world, she had hitherto appeared lulled into a kind of happy insensibility. Yet the approaching time of explanation was terrible. It renewed the story of torture of all her misfortunes, and the idea filled her with grief and dismay. Had you been as willing to receive her as she to return to you, happy would it have been for both, but your pride was the cause of additional calamities when the time arrived. But why shall we harrow upon souls with the reiteration of her sorrowful exit? From these circumstances, said Martin, you cannot accuse me as the immediate cause of Ophelia's death. The facts are, as I have stated them, and thus was a strain but penitent child driven to despair and suicide by a severe use of parental power, and a vain attempt to resent an injury, for which it was impossible the accused party could make compensation. 
notwithstanding the plausibility of Martin's plea, I have little hesitation in my mind to charge him with the remote cause of the miserable end of Ophelia. How far parental authority may be extended is a question which I shall not determine. I must, however, think it depends upon the combination of circumstances. The duty of a child to her parents will be in proportion to the attention paid to her education. If, instead of the usual pains bestowed by many partial parents upon the vain parade of forming the manners of a child and burthening the mind with the necessity of douceur and graces, would it not often be happier for both to take a small share of thought to kindle one spark of grace in the heart? Happy the parents who have bestowed upon their children such an education as will enable them, by a principle of mediocrity, to govern them without extorting obedience, and to reclaim them without exercising severity. Farewell. Letter 24. Harriet to Myra, Rhode Island. Mrs. Francis is not altogether pleased with her journey to this part of the country. She does not delight to brood over sorrow. She flies from the house of mourning to scenes of dissipation, and, like the rest of the world, bears the misfortunes of her friends with a most Christian fortitude. The melancholy aspect of affairs here will therefore shorten our visit, so you may expect us at Boston in a few days my faithful lover, with whom I will certainly make you acquainted in a short time, continues to write to me in very passionate and sentimental strains. His last letter proves him to be a tolerable maker of rhymes, and I enclose it for your entertainment. I am, my dear, your most affectionate friend. End of Letters 21-24 through 24.